Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Happening now, breaking news. The Israeli military says it found a tunnel shaft at the Gaza hospital it raided amid pressure to prove its claim that Hamas used the complex as a command center. I'll ask an IDF spokesperson about the newly released video and whether there's more evidence to come. Also this hour, all the damning details in the House ethics report on Congressman George Santos, prompting a new push to expel him from Congress. The bipartisan panel concluding the Republican used campaign funds for Botox, spot treatments, and other luxuries while telling a litany of lies. And there's a guilty verdict tonight for the man who attacked Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul, with a hammer in their San Francisco home. We'll break down the conviction and the reaction from the former House Speaker and her family. Welcome to our viewers in the United States and around the world. I'm Wolf Blitzer, you're in the Situation Room. This is CNN Breaking News. Let's get right to the Breaking News. New video from the Israeli military aimed at backing up its claim that Hamas used Gaza's largest hospital as a command center. CNN's Jeremy Diamond has our report from Israel. A Hamas tunnel below Gaza's largest hospital. That's what the Israeli military says this video shows. Nearly 48 hours after Israeli forces raided Al-Shifa hospital, these are the first images of what the Israeli military says is an operational tunnel shaft on the grounds of the hospital complex. CNN cannot independently verify those claims, but using this frame, CNN has geolocated this video to the Al-Shifa complex, about 30 meters away from one of the hospital's main buildings. It is here in Shifa hospital where Hamas operates some of its command and control cells. For weeks, Israeli officials have laid the groundwork for an operation targeting Shifa Hospital, claiming Hamas operates a massive underground complex below it. And in recent days, the U.S. has also backed up those allegations. One thing has been established is that Hamas does have headquarters, weapons, materiel below this hospital. As Israeli special forces continue searching the hospital complex, they are also uncovering weapons and ammunition. There is a, an AK-47, there are cartridges, am ammo, uh, there are uh, grenades in here. Which the Israeli military calls concrete evidence that Hamas used Gaza's largest hospital to wage war. Near the hospital, Israeli officials also say they found the body of 65-year-old Yehudit Weiss, who was among those abducted on October 7th. Israel's decision to send troops into a hospital has drawn fierce criticism, with the UN's aid chief saying he is appalled by the raid. President Biden standing by Israel's actions. It's not like they're rushing in the hospital, knocking down doors and, you know, pulling people aside and shooting people indiscriminately. Amid the fighting, the families of hostages held by Hamas ramping up the pressure. This whole huge march of families up to Jerusalem comes to make a very clear stand to our government 
that they need to take any deal that they have and pay any price uh, for these people, for their citizens, pretty much. As negotiations drag on over a deal that could see Hamas free dozens of women and children in exchange for a multi-day ceasefire. This is my sister-in-law and this is my niece. She's 12 years old. Their families are racked with anxiety. It's been nerve-wracking, to tell you the truth, because, again, we don't know who to believe. We are trying to kind of scrape the last remnants of uh, faith and trust in our government that uh, when a relevant deal comes to the table, they will take it. For now, they march and wait. And Wolf, negotiations between Israel and Hamas for that potential hostage deal are still ongoing, but there are major questions including from some of those hostage families, about whether or not the Israeli government will agree to a ceasefire for several days in order to get dozens of these hostages out. Hundreds of thousands of uh, these uh, families and other people supporting them are expected to march to Jerusalem on Saturday. I asked Zohar, that man that you saw at the end there, who is missing his, uh, his uh, niece and his, his brother's wife, uh, whether or not he believes that Prime Minister Netanyahu's priorities are aligned with his. He said they better be because he is working for him. Wolf. All right, Jeremy Diamond reporting from Ashkelon, Israel for us. Uh, Jeremy, thank you. As Israel attempts to justify its raid of the Al-Shifa hospital, conditions inside the complex are growing more dire by the day. CNN's Nada Bashir has an update on the humanitarian crisis unfolding all across Gaza. It's a scene that should be filled with innocence. But these drawings, sketches of houses, paint a picture of all these children have lost. Home for the displaced, now makeshift shelters in central Gaza. Lives in limbo with nowhere to go. In the south, as more children are buried, another warning. Leaflets dropped by the Israeli military on Thursday, telling civilians in southern Gaza to move and find shelter. A foreboding signal that Israel's ground incursion could soon extend its punishing reach. Now they are asking us to leave. Where do we go? We want to understand where exactly we should go. But UN rights experts on Thursday warned that grave violations committed by Israel point, in their words, to a genocide in the making. As darkness encompasses doctors in the south, already grappling with the impact of Israel's intensifying bombing campaign, there are growing fears over what could come next. Desperate scenes from the north of Gaza, almost entirely destroyed by Israel's unrelenting airstrikes, show just how dire the situation can quickly become. We have lost contact with our colleagues, patients, and everyone inside the Al-Shifa medical complex. Israeli forces say they are still active in and around the Al-Shifa hospital, Gaza's largest, claiming to have found an operational tunnel shaft at the hospital complex. With no access to the complex, CNN is unable to verify either side's claims. Israel says its military operation at al-Shifa will take time, raising fears over the safety and security of more than a thousand patients and medical staff now trapped inside. We are looking at options uh, for full medical evacuation, but there are a lot of uh, security concerns, there are a lot of logistics constraints, um, our options are rather limited. 
Allegations of people at Al Shifa being interrogated and even stripped are beginning to emerge. While doctors are detailing the harrowing decisions they are being forced to make, including amputating limbs to stop the spread of infection. But with a communications blackout cutting northern Gaza off from much of the outside world, CNN has no ability to verify these accounts and has reached out to the IDF for comment. No videos have emerged from staff at Al Shifa Hospital since the raid began in the early hours of Wednesday morning. These are some of the last pictures to have been shared with the world. Premature babies in intensive care. There is no way to tell if all are still alive. Their cries, some of the last sounds heard before the voices of those inside and Shifa were silenced. Look, Wolf, there is still mounting concern for the safety and security of those patients and medical staff, as well as other civilians inside the El Shifa complex. As you heard there, it is extremely difficult to even to begin to think about evacuating some of these patients who require specialist medical evacuations. And as we know, of course, already there are some 1.5 million Palestinians who have been displaced within the Gaza Strip. And of course, while there has been an intense focus on the El Shifa complex, what we are seeing across the Gaza Strip now is continued area bombardment, continued concern over the mounting death toll that we are seeing. Wolf? Nada Bashir reporting live from Jerusalem. Thank you, Nada, very much. Let's get some more on all of these developments. Joining us now, a spokesperson for the Israel Defense Forces, Lieutenant Colonel Amnon Scheffler. Lieutenant Colonel, thank you so much for joining us. First of all, what more can you tell us about this, quote, operational tunnel shaft that Israeli forces say they found inside El Shifa complex? Is that the extent of what the IDF has found at El Shifa so far when it comes to tunnels, or is there more? This is one of uh, the piers that we found uh, in the area that we're continuously also looking uh, for other. And this shows that clearly uh, there is a tunnel infrastructure underneath the El Shifa hospital. We found also today a lot of explosives and other ammunitions right in that uh, courtyard of the, the Al Shifa hospital, also uh, together with what we found yesterday in the MRI room. We also found the car that you just showed that is similar to the cars that were used on the October 7th uh, massacre, uh, and it was booby-trapped, once again showing how Hamas did not care and was looking forward to explode a car inside the Shifa hospital that would surely have killed also patients and staff of that hospital. Lieutenant Colonel, can you say unequivocally that what's been found at the hospital shows this was a major Hamas command center? What exactly do you define as a command center? Yes, we can say that now clearly, and now we're also showing it uh, on top of the evidence uh, that we knew from the intel and that the, uh, our U.S. counterparts have also verified. What we're seeing here is a place where uh, Hamas can gather we saw the communication tools that they had. We saw the intel tools uh, that they need in order to facilitate any kind of terrorist activity and carry it out from that infrastructure that they used. Again, another civilian infrastructure, similarly like they use schools, like they use uh, mosques, and also like they use this hospital, the Al-Quds Hospital, the Rantisi Hospital, to carry out and plan and execute terrorist activity. The director of El Shifa, the hospital there, says patients there are going untreated, including a lot of children. Doesn't Israel have an obligation to deliver critical supplies to, the, to at least the patients there? 
We have an obligation, a moral obligation, and we wish to. That is why today we brought 4,000 liters of water to the hospital. That is why we brought today 1,500 prepared meals to the hospital. That is why we're continuously talking to the administration of the hospital and the doctors and to see what is needed. And based on what they said, we brought in the incubators, we brought in baby food, we have designated an area of the hospital, the eastern side of it, that civilians and patients that can leave should leave uh, through the humanitarian corridors that uh, we are continuously protecting and allowing those civilians to leave. And that is why we're in continuous communication to find the best way that we can alleviate the suffering that Hamas is bringing on the people in Gaza. Are you planning to deliver fuel to the hospital? We have offered fuel, 300 liters uh, that our soldiers brought while taking a risk to uh, the hospital. Sadly, uh, the hospital did not take it in, probably because the Hamas uh, was threatening uh, what would happen to them if they do. And as I mentioned, we're in continuous communication and whatever the hospital says that they need, we will try to facilitate that. The body of an Israeli hostage, a woman, uh, was found near El Shifa Hospital. The IDF says she was killed by terrorists. Can you explain the exact circumstances of her death, 65-year-old grandmother? 65-year-old Yehudit Weiss uh, was found right next to the El Shifa hospital and brought back uh, to, his, to Israel to be buried next to her husband that was also murdered on the 7th of October uh, by Hamas. We have two goals in this war that Hamas launched. One is to dismantle Hamas, and the second is to bring back the hostages that now the, on the day 41 are still being held by Hamas. And I want to remind everyone, the safest and fastest way for these hostages to come home is for Hamas to release them and the international community to continue pressuring Hamas to do so. So do you know exactly how this 65-year-old grandmother died? We know that she, on October 7th, was alive in her bed in Kibbutz Be'eri, and Hamas came in and brutally massacred 10% of that kibbutz and took her as hostage together with a nine-month-old baby, children, women, and elderly. And now we know that she has sadly passed away. As you know, Israel has dropped leaflets in the largest city in southern Gaza, warning civilians there to leave. The IDF previously told people to move south for safety. So where are they supposed to go, Lieutenant Colonel? We're the ones that are actually continuously communicating with the people of Gaza, looking for the safer areas where they can be. Because we knew that Hamas has its headquarters mainly in the Gaza city, that is where operationally we chose to start. But sadly, as we know, Hamas is operating all over the Gaza Strip. More than 10,000 rockets have been fired from the Gaza Strip towards Israeli civilians. And this includes coming from the southern part of Gaza. So Hamas is not operating only in Gaza City. It's operating also in the south. And in order to reach our number one goal, which is to dismantle Hamas, we will go them wherever they are. Yet, we are looking for the safest places for the civilians of Gaza. And that is why we've asked them initially to move to the southern part of Gaza, south of the Wadi of Gaza. And now we're telling them specifically where to move within that area. And also, while doing so, we're continuously in communication with any international organization that wants to aid the Gazans, bring in any international uh, um, medicine, facilities, food uh, that can be helped, including field hospitals that we're inviting 
any country that wants to donate them to bring them to the southern part of Gaza so we can help the Palestinians. As we said, reaching the goal of dismantling Hamas will not only bring it to be safer for Israelis, it will also bring it to be safer for the Palestinians living in Gaza. Lieutenant Colonel Amnon Scheffler, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Just ahead, a New York appeals court uh, lifts a gag order on Donald Trump for now. What it means for the former president's civil fraud trial and other major legal troubles. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. A New York appeals court has just lifted a gag order on Donald Trump, at least temporarily. The ruling comes after Trump's attorneys argued his right to free speech was being unfairly restricted. CNN's Kara Scannell is outside the courthouse in Manhattan for us. Kara, so what's the impact of this order? Well, Wolf, as you say, a New York appeals court judge has lifted the gag order, at least for now, after Trump's claims that it was unconstitutional. Trump's lawyers had filed a petition uh, just earlier this week, and there was an emergency hearing on that today. And that is after that hearing, the judge has issued that ruling from the bench. And the gag order was put in place by Judge Arthur Angoran, who is overseeing the civil fraud trial. He put it in place after Trump had made baseless claims about his law clerk on social media and then extended it to Trump's attorneys after they raised questions about communications. The judge was having with that same law clerk who sits just a few feet from him on the bench. So the judge in the case had um, also sanctioned Trump $15,000 for violating that gag order. But now after this appellate court judge stepped in, uh, Trump is free to say whatever he wants about this case. Now, Trump's attorney, Chris Keis, um, said this after the hearing. Fortunately, the Constitution and the First Amendment protect everyone, including President Trump. So this freeze of the gag order will remain in effect until briefing is heard on this case. Those briefs are not due until the end of the month, and this trial wraps next month, Wolf, so this gag order could be lifted for the duration of the trial. Kara Scannell reporting for us. Thank you for that update. Uh, Now I want to go to an exclusive new CNN report on the special counsel's Hunter Biden investigation. I want to get some more from our chief legal affairs correspondent, Paula Reed. Paula, I understand you've learned Joe Biden's brother has been subpoenaed. That's right, Wolf. Multiple sources telling CNN that prosecutors are now using a Los Angeles grand jury to gather evidence related to Hunter Biden's finances, signaling that additional charges could be coming for the president's son. Now, multiple witnesses have received subpoenas for testimony and documents. One of those witnesses is Hunter's uncle, James Biden. He was also his former business partner. Now, it appears that this investigation is looking into Hunter Biden's alleged 
tax violations for allegedly not paying taxes in certain years. Now, that was something that was supposed to be resolved by a plea deal that fell apart earlier this year. Now, the special counsel has already filed gun charges against Hunter Biden in Delaware. That's where most of the investigation into the president's son has been conducted. But these alleged tax crimes happened in Southern California. That's also where he lives. So the fact that they're now using a grand jury there signals more charges could be coming. And Paul, I understand there's also new information about another special counsel investigating President Biden's handling of classified materials. What are you learning? Well, we'll have multiple sources telling us that no charges are expected to be filed in special counsel Rob Herr's investigation into the possible mishandling of classified materials at two locations connected to President Biden. He will, though, issue a report, which we are told is expected to be extremely detailed and also critical of the president and his team for how they handle these sensitive materials. Now, a lot of comparisons will likely be made, especially by Republicans and Trump allies, between the Biden documents case and the Trump documents case, which is, of course, now uh, going to be a criminal trial next year. But three key differences. The first, volume. Uh, the second, cooperation with the government. And the last is dissemination. In the Biden case, we're talking about dozens of documents. In the Trump case, we're talking about hundreds of classified documents. Also, the Trump team did not fully cooperate when the government signaled that they wanted these documents back. And of course, there is no evidence suggesting the president disseminated any of these sensitive materials where former President Trump is heard on tape appearing to share some of the sensitive information with people who did not have clearances. All right, Paula Reed reporting for us. Thank you, Paula. Just ahead, the damning House ethics report on Congressman George Santos where the committee says the Republican lawmaker spent campaign cash for many personal purposes and what it means for his political future. Republican Congressman George Santos says he will not repeat not run for re-election after the House Ethics Committee has now released a scathing, long-awaited report. That investigation found Santos used campaign cash for personal expenses, including travel, luxury shopping, Botox, and other cosmetics. Our chief congressional correspondent, Manu Raju, has the latest. Mr. Santos. He's been under scrutiny all year for the lies he's told about his past. <laughs> and for the 23 federal criminal charges he's facing. I have no clue of what you guys are talking about. No. But now GOP Congressman George Santos could be expelled from the House. George Santos is a fraud. He should not be a member of Congress. This after a months-long investigation from the Bipartisan Ethics Committee, alleging criminal wrongdoing, saying he sought to fraudulently exploit every aspect of his House candidacy for his own personal financial profit. The panel finding that Santos blatantly stole from his campaign, including for travel and Botox, even making a payment to OnlyFans. Also alleging he reported fictitious loans and sustained it all through a constant series of lies. I think uh, the people of, of, of his district need, uh, need uh, representation and they're not getting that right now. The damning report concludes that he knowingly filed false reports with the FEC and made willful violations in financial disclosures with the House. The GOP chairman of the Ethics Committee, Michael Guest, planning to file a resolution to make Santos just the sixth House member in U.S. history to be expelled. That will be enough for members to be able to make a decision as to whether or not uh, they believe it would be proper to expel Representative Santos. In an interview with CNN this month, Santos acknowledged making mistakes in his filings. They said you made up your income. 
And that could be I, a problem for your ethics problem. That's what happened. I mean, did you not list your income it, properly here? All Twice. I all I can say all I can say is, first, no, that's not true. Second, uh, were there mistake made on those forms? I'm now I know they were. Uh, was I? Were they malicious? No, I didn't understand how that worked. And I'm a new candidate, and I'm sorry that like mistakes were made. And denying making fake loans to his campaign. Because one of the things they say is that there's a five hundred thousand dollar loan that you made. I made. Oh, I made five hundred thousand dollars. But you had eight hundred eight thousand dollars in your bank account, and they say there's no evidence that the like five hundred thousand dollars. Like I said, I made. I made. I can guarantee you that I made the financial loans to my campaign that are on the record. Today, Santos blasting the bipartisan committee, calling the report biased and a disgusting, politicized smear, yet announcing he would not seek a second term next year, saying his family deserved better, despite saying this just two weeks ago. So if they expel you and then they put someone else in the seat, you're going to run in 2024. Absolutely. And support is growing for George Santos's expulsion. There are a dozen Republicans right now who previously opposed his expulsion now supporting it. We calculate they will need about 50 Republicans in order to get to that two-thirds majority. And if he is expelled, it will narrow the House Republican majority likely to 221 to 213, meaning any three Republicans who defect could scuttle party-line votes. But it would truly be a historic move, unprecedented, Wolf, because never before in American history has someone been expelled who has not been convicted or was not fighting for the Confederacy. And Wolf, the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, his spokesman, putting out a statement saying that he considers the findings, quote, very troubling, but to consider the impacts on the institution as members weigh their next step. Wolf. Manu Raju up on Capitol Hill. Manu, thanks for that report. I want to get reaction from our political experts right now in Artie Cornish. Let me start with you. The level of detail in this report is really, really uh, intensive. Uh, It's stunning. Have you ever seen anything like this before? You've covered Congress. I have, and I've actually time. covered a case of the Louisiana congressman who was found to have uh, $90,000 in his freezer, William Jefferson. He actually also ran for re-election and was not elected, and he was not voted to be expelled. Lawmakers are very loath to kick people out if they are not convicted for a crime. What's interesting about this report, though, is it's so specific, not just about Botox and some of this other sort of funnier stuff, but about him manipulating and lying to donors. And that's a no-no. You're tapping into the pool of everyone else and messing with everybody's money. And I think that that's something lawmakers really don't like in the party. And it was showing that he was double dealing with the loans, et cetera, but he was also using the fact that he was in Congress to continue to reach out and continue with some of those manipulations. Totally agree. I've covered Congress for a long time as well. You know, Kevin Madden, what are you hearing from Republicans right now about these truly shocking details in this extensive report? Well, there's been a big shift, uh, I think, in sentiment about uh, whether or not they should put a premium on defending the Republican majority. We have a razor-thin majority, as Manu just mentioned. Now this would reduce the, the margin to about three Republican votes. That is very quickly dissipating. The big concern has to be about whether or not you have members of Congress that are going to be able to ever go home and defend an institution that would then say that, well, we have to give everybody due process when you have a report like this that is as scathing and has as much detail in it about the malfeasance that took place. So if they're ever really going to defend their own majority, they have to take action. So I think the one thing that you're seeing now growing sentiment, growing levels of pressure on members to actually take action against uh, Representative Sanders. Including a lot of Republicans on this issue as well. Kate, 
Uh, Kate Bedingfield's with us. Uh, Santos, has, he survived one expulsion vote already. You think he can survive another? It's hard to imagine, given the specificity and the egregiousness of the allegations that are made in this report and the fact that it is a bipartisan report. It has, you know, Republican imprimatur as well. I think, uh, you know, the previous votes were, again, prior to this report coming out. There's now, uh, there's, there's more sort of substance. Um, uh, and to Kevin's point, uh, you know, they're going to have to go home to their uh, to their districts and defend it. And I don't think anybody wants to defend payments that, that you know, bilking donors for uh, payments to OnlyFans or Botox. So uh, it's hard to imagine he survives. Uh, again, it's a very it's it's going to be a very narrow. It will create a very narrow margin. And there's always some uh, desire to try to preserve your majority. But I think the the severity uh, and the specificity of the report. Uh, means that it's very hard for them to do that. And for, you know, Democrats, for example, who didn't vote to expel him uh, previously, their objection was largely procedural and largely the fact that, you know, historically you would not vote to expel a member of Congress who hadn't been convicted. Now we have this very specific report uh, that makes it easier for them to take that procedural And vote. as Manu reported, you needed a two-thirds majority to expel a member of Congress. Uh, Audie, while I have you, I want to turn to this brand-new CNN poll just released today in New Hampshire And take a look at some of these numbers. Uh, Donald Trump is still out in front significantly. But look at Nikki Haley right now. She's jumped to second place, nearly doubling her support from uh, September. I think it's easy to look at those numbers and think absolutely, obviously, Donald Trump is so far ahead. But what you also see there are double-digit percentages of people in the electorate who want another choice. They haven't coalesced around one in particular, but that doesn't mean the hunger isn't there. That's how you can see numbers nudging up. And I think part of the problem is the, and Kevin will talk about this more, someone's got to drop out. Somebody's got to say, look, I'm the most likely if there's even a fighting chance to have a conversation about a real choice. Is Nikki Haley now the number one threat to potentially to Trump getting the Republican. Yeah, I think she's the top one now. I mean, I think she's clearly she has momentum, right? Um, I I would say that this as a three C's are in play right now is first is you have more curiosity about Nikki Haley, right? And that's a good thing. But are you able to convert them into, you know, real genuine supporters? Are you able to get more uh, fundraisers on your side, more grassroots support? And then the last part, which I think is the hardest part, is consolidation. Are you going to see more people start to drop out, more of the other candidates start to drop out and move their support to Nikki Haley? Those last two, I think right now, are all question marks. We shall see what happens. Uh, it's interesting to say the least. All right, guys, thank you very, very much. This note to our viewers, you can find Audie's podcast, and it's tr- truly an excellent podcast entitled The Assignment, wherever you get your podcast. So check it out. Just ahead, new reaction to the breaking news on Israel's claim of a tunnel shaft found at the Al-Shifa Hospital. The Palestinian Authority's health minister standing by to join us. We'll discuss when we come back. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. We're following breaking news in the uh, Israel-Hamas war. The Israeli military releasing video claiming to show an operational tunnel shaft at the Gaza hospital it raided. 
Israel says it's evidence that Hamas had a command center at the Al Shifa hospital where IDF forces are still searching and patients are suffering. And joining me now from Ramallah on the West Bank, the Minister of Health for the Palestinian Authority, Dr. Mai Al-Kaila. Dr. Al-Kaila, thank you so much for joining us. As you know, doctors at Gaza's Al-Shifa Hospital say they've had to amputate patients' infected limbs. They've lost power, medical equipment, medicine. Have you had any contact with doctors there? What are you hearing? Yes, we have uh, contact through uh, a focal point that is contacting with them, and we hear the same. We hear that amputation of uh, of uh, legs are done uh, without anesthesia. A cesarean section for a pregnant woman was done without anesthesia because of lack of medication and the necessity and urgency to do these operations. As well, there is no protection for these operations uh, by antibiotics as uh, it should be in such cases. And uh, therefore, the situation is really very difficult and very horrific. Israel says that they found a Hamas tunnel shaft, a command center with guns and ammunition around the hospital, underneath the hospital, in fact. How much responsibility, a doctor, does Hamas bear for endangering doctors, patients, and sheltering civilians there? I have seen this, uh, as uh, as everybody have seen this on the uh, on the videotape that was published. Uh, however, uh, actually, the hospital of Shifa and uh, the patients there they shouldn't pay any price for uh, for uh, for this, and they should be protected by the international humanitarian law. Uh, as you might know, that uh, international humanitarian law uh, protect the hospitals and protect the uh, medical staff, the ambulances, and the civilians. And this is not the case uh, in this uh, war. Uh, you know the Geneva Convention, the third, the fourth, and its annexion and, and its annexes, as well uh, the. Uh, uh, the uh, Security Council uh, uh, resolution uh, 2286 of two of the year 2016 uh, affirmed the what came in the international uh, humanitarian law and in the Geneva Conventions. Therefore, uh, the civilians and uh, and medical staff, patients and ambulances, they should be protected by law. There's, uh, as you probably know, there's only one. There's only one uh, uh, hospital in northern Gaza that seems to be left right now. Give us your sense of the magnitude, doctor, of this health crisis, indeed, across the entire hospital system in Gaza right now. In Gaza, there is 35 uh, hospitals, uh, uh, public and private and charitable hospitals. Uh, out of these hospitals, uh, there are 26 hospitals who are not uh, in service now because of uh, the bombardment of uh, uh, of the occupying power to the some of the hospitals, or because there is lack of fuel and uh, uh, and medical supplies and medicines. Uh, now, when we say 26 hospitals are not operating this means the majority of the hospitals uh, nine hospitals are left and they are the, the most of them they are in the south uh, uh, functioning uh, but still they are not sufficient now in the north area uh, of gaza there is 24 hospitals and the shifa is uh, uh, is uh, the north area and uh, these 24 hospitals one is left uh, functioning uh, is uh, is alauda uh, hospital uh, in the upper north in Jabalia, and part of, uh, 
of the Arab Ahli Hospital. Part of it is working. Dr. Mai Al-Kaila, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Coming up, a federal jury reaches a verdict in the trial of the man who bludgeoned Paul Pelosi with a hammer. We have details on the decision. We'll share them with you right after a quick break. In San Francisco today, a federal jury convicted the man who brutally attacked the husband of Nancy Pelosi with a hammer last October. CNN's Veronica Miracle is joining us now from outside the courthouse with an update. Veronica, so what exactly did the jury decide? What did they find? Well, Wolf, the jury decided that David DePap is guilty on both counts, both federal charges that he was facing. They say that he did. Uh, he, he was facing the attempted kidnapping of a federal official, as well as the assault on the immediate family member of a federal official. They found him guilty on both of those counts. They also found that he used a dangerous weapon in the attack, and he faces a maximum sentence of 50 years in prison. Now, immediately after the verdict was read, a spokesperson for Speaker Emerita Nancy Nancy Pelosi put out a statement saying, in part, Speaker Pelosi and her family are deeply grateful for the outpouring of prayers and warm wishes for Mr. Pelosi from so many across the country during this difficult time. The Pelosi family is very proud of their pop, who demonstrated extraordinary composure and courage on the night of the attack a year ago and in the courtroom this week. Uh, we do have video of the attack on Paul Pelosi. It is disturbing. During his testimony this week, he said the last year has been incredibly trying. He had to relearn how to walk. He Goes, undergoes physical therapy multiple times a week still to this day and go and has dizzy spells and headaches constantly. It's been very traumatic. Next, David DePap goes to his state trial where he's facing attempted murder charges, among others. Wolf. Veronica, thanks for that update. Veronica Miracle reporting. Coming up, why U.S. Capitol Police believe they were prepared for an anti-war protest that turned violent. Tonight, CNN has learned that U.S. Capitol Police were warned of potential violence linked to events in Gaza a day before they clashed with anti-war protesters. We're told the intelligence assessment helped officers prepare for what unfolded outside of Democratic Party headquarters here in Washington overnight. CNN's Brian Todd is uh, at the scene of the clash for us tonight. Uh, Brian, activists are turning up the heat clearly on top Democrats, including the president. They certainly are, Wolf. The barricades here at Democratic National Headquarters in Washington still up after those violent protests last night. That event, plus what happened just a short time ago in San Francisco, are certainly grabbing the attention of the president and fellow Democrats tonight. Today on San Francisco's Bay Bridge, pro-Palestinian protesters brought traffic to a standstill for hours during rush hour. 80 arrested and 29 cars towed off the bridge a direct message to President Biden, who was attending the APEC summit nearby. And last night, this melee at Democratic National Committee headquarters in Washington. Peace activists calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. Police forcefully moving protesters down a flight of stairs. The protesters at certain points blocked the exits. At least 10 Democratic lawmakers, including top party leaders, were inside at the time, had no way out and had to be evacuated. We were told we were in lockdown and would not be allowed to leave. And then the police came in and uh, evacuated us through the basement. It's led to a he said, she said regarding which side provoked the violence. 
The U.S. Capitol Police, in a statement, said the protesters were the aggressors and, quote, six officers were treated for injuries, from minor cuts to being pepper sprayed to being punched. The protest organizers say the police rushed the crowd without warning and were not provoked. They pepper sprayed and kicked and pushed and pulled people's hair while we lit candles and prayed and sang. These protests, emblematic of a broader political problem for President Biden and the Democrats. Progressives in the party are increasingly splitting with Biden and moderate Democrats over Biden's steadfast support for Israel in this war. A lot of Democrats, including Democratic voters, want to see the president more forcefully call for extended pauses or a ceasefire. Earlier this month, organizers of a pro-Palestinian rally directly told the president what he stands to lose among Muslim voters and others. Our message is no ceasefire, no votes. No votes for you anywhere if you do not call for a ceasefire now. Many Muslim voters, a key constituent in the crucial swing state of Michigan, have lost enthusiasm for the president over his stance on the war. But analysts say there's even more at stake. It's also young voters. We're seeing them rally around uh, civilians in Gaza calling for a ceasefire, not happy with the way the president is addressing the war. And so young voters were really key to Biden in states like Michigan, in states like Arizona, and in states like Georgia. Now, the president and his team have shifted their rhetoric in recent weeks to call for a reduction of civilian casualties in Gaza. But the president says he's still got Israel's back. And analysts say that's a political tightrope that he's going to have to walk from now until Election Day. Wolf. Brian Todd reporting. Brian, thank you very much. Aaron Burnett out front starts right now. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.